the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. And a very good afternoon. We uh, On the program today, we uh, will bring you the latest on the fire ant situation, uh, the latest from the, the Department of Primary Industries. Also, some people Im- impacted in the region as well. We'll hear about that. Also, the rain and uh, hasn't been great for the cherry harvest or for uh, general grain harvest, but uh, some, gr- some uh, dairy farmers are pretty pleased with the rain. Until last night, we've had steady rain, so it's been soaking in really well and made a huge difference to the colour and the growth of the grass. Yeah, no, it makes a big difference. We're much more positive about the summer now. It'll be, yeah, this will keep us going for quite some time. So good for some, but not so good for others, and uh, damaging winds and more thunderstorms on the way. We hope to talk to the... uh the SES uh, in regards to that shortly. But first up today, the clean-up is continuing across parts of the far west of New South Wales after that storm that brought some record-breaking rain, hail and damaging winds. There have been reports of uh, from 30 millimetres up to 104 millimetres at Ivanhoe with Sunset Strip near Menindee turning into a bit of a snowfield and the golf course was underwater as well. There were a few complaints from landholders who hadn't seen that sort of rain for a very long time. Barb Arnold owns Bindara on the Darling, located on the west side of the Darling River near Menindee and Pooncary. She told Andrew Smith that she's very happy with the 52 millimetres that fell at her place. Yesterday we did. We didn't get quite the snow effect that they got, though, but um, <laughs> we had 19 mils of rain with it and we, when we had the hail, we had a bit of hail as well. Only lasted for 10 minutes and it was all over. Mm-hmm. My tap turned off and then um, overnight, oh my gosh, um, after midnight around about 1 o'clock, it was absolutely hosing down as it was a Mindy. So I saw um, on uh, Karen Pages, it was hosing. Oh, mate. <laughs> Hosing's never a good going to stop. <laughs> Hosing's a good word. Uh, Barb, all up to you. Do you know how much you received this week? Yeah, 52 mils, mate. Wow. Uh, and look, we sat there, didn't we, for months and months and we were told hot. Dry, don't expect any rain, and bang. And I'm worried about fires and doing fire breaks and slashing and, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does it mean for you? It's worse after the <laughs> What does it mean for your place, uh, Barbara, leading into summer? Oh, look, it'll just give it a, a, a breath of fresh air, to say the very, very least. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. What was it looking like before the rain? It had dried off really, really badly. Um, still plenty of feed there, but um, the fire danger, in my mind, was very, very high. Just didn't know where we were going to go with that one. Fire breaks and slashing, you know, near the house and you know, trying to put a big gap between there and there in case, you know, we only needed a storm sort of in a lightning yeah. strike or a cigarette or anything, and away it would go. Yeah. Uh, what do you got on the property at the moment, Barb? What sort of stock are you running? Look, we're only running goats at the moment, so, um, yeah, they, they haven't really been filling up all the things that they needed to do. <laughs> What's uh, the river looking like at the moment? Um, yesterday it was up a bit, so, yeah, I think they did another re- a release. So, yeah, it's, it's, it was up and looking quite good. Yeah. Well, Barb, look, that's great news. As I said, it's been very much hit and miss, hasn't it? I mean, you can get this and your next-door neighbour can get not much at all, but uh, let's hope that most got a bit of a drink out of this. Well, I think... Considering uh, it was raining in, in Manitou at the same time it was raining here, I'm, I'm thinking that this was not just a cell. Like yesterday was just basically a cell. They had these cells dropping here and there randomly, but um, I think it was more intense overnight and sort of covered a wider, longer area. Yeah. Uh, like, no, it's beautiful. We can handle it all for sure. I'm not complaining. 
It's Barb Arnold there. Now, moving 140 kilometres south of Broken Hill, a total, total of 51 millimetres fell of, uh, of rain fell at Chris Bright's place, but he says he slept through much of it. 17 mil last night that I didn't hear. I woke up this morning and thought, well, I might have been, I might have chucked the rain out of the rain gauge. <laughs> what was your place looking like, Chris, prior to this? Oh, it's looking good, Dan. Yeah, we got huge amount of um, grass there and that. That's not a problem there and that. But the biggest problem was trying to water the gates because we've got a huge amount of them too. So, and getting the heads cut off is not a, not easy. And have you had a bit of a chance to get out and have a look around, Chris? No, we haven't went anywhere yet. I'll get the bike out today. I think the 51 mil's a little bit much for the car. I don't like walking. <laughs> Chris, it might be a bit early, but the Bush Telegraph, uh, have your neighbours received a bit as well? Uh, it's been pretty general, this one there. Uh, you know, uh, this year, um, we had yesterday, started just north of us and it went right to Mildura. And, you know, people south of us had, what, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 mil. It really wound up as it went south of us, so I could see it there, and I thought, gee, going to be a lot of rain here. Yeah, and mainly that, that seems to be, uh, like I said, south of Broken Hill, heading towards Wentworth, and, you know, we're getting reports out of Menindi. One lady recorded 70 millimetres just outside of there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. This is the more, We've had a lot of storms the last few days, but they've been really scattered. Haven't been, but this, this lot of storms have been a lot more general. Dams will be okay, you reckon, Chris? Ah, uh, well, that's right. Everything will be good there. And that, um, once I had a look at that little um, thing out of Sunset Strip, I said, thank God we didn't have anything like that. So, uh, you know, we, we we did our caravan sitting outside here. I wasn't interested in a, a hailstorm like that. <laughs> yeah. For those people who aren't aware, yeah, the Sunset Strip, if you look at the photos out of Sunset Strip, it looks like something out of the Austrian Alps. It does, and I looked at them, they looked like golf balls to me. I really shouted when I saw them. <laughs> uh, well, Chris, look, it's a bit of an early Christmas present for some, isn't it? Uh, it is. It takes all the off for a lot of the summer now. You know, we, we were looking at, you know, just chasing more than a bit of goats now. That's, uh, that will we'll get green feed now, and we'll get a bit of water in the dance. It takes all the pressure off. Chris Bright talking there to Andrew Schmidt. Well, the rain has disrupted the cherry harvest in the Young District with falls of up to 30 millimetres forecast for today. Growers are worried about the financial impact for them with most of the fruit yet to be picked. The next few days will be critical. Tom Eastlake told Emily Doak before the wet weather hit, the season was shaping up to be a pretty good one. Most people have got a pretty heavy crop this year and the weather conditions have been perfect. So we're about, you know, growers would be somewhere north side of town, they'd be, you know, over halfway now. This side of town where I am on the south of Young, we'd be probably, depends on who you are, but somewhere between a quarter, a third, 40% of the way through. So the majority of fruit still to come, but, you know, the season start was pretty good. And you say that, you know, great conditions for pollination and a great start to the harvest. So what sort of quality and size were you seeing in the fruit that was picked early? So uh, quality's been great, uh, the flavour's been great, but we, we're very conscious now of sugar content, we measure that in bricks. Bricks has been high, firmness has been great, you have to have firm cherries, good stem retention, nice bright shiny fruit, you know, lovely weather that we've had has all you know, augurs well for all of those things and gives you good quality fruit and the market demands that so you know, young fruit will have been well received this year by the market. And most of it hitting the top grades? Yes, so very little seconds, so people will look for seconds, bargain hunters. And I spoke to just a grower the other day and he said, I'm telling my guys, look, you're just going to have to buy first grade. I haven't got any seconds this year. So up until this point, the quality has been really, really good.
But we're standing here in the moment uh, in Young. We're in your packing shed today, which is surprisingly quiet because it's raining outside. What's happened weather-wise? So we've had a week of, you know, it hasn't been as bad as what we thought in the initial part of it, but we have basically had 13 days of four out of 14 forecast for rain, which we do not want this time of year. That will, we'd happily take, you know, the odd shower, but uh, prolonged, you know, periods of uncertainty with how the rain's going to fall. We've coped pretty well with the last, you know, week to five days of rain. Uh, we've been able to manage through that. There has been some damage, but that's okay. We've been high packouts. That's decreased that a bit. But the next two days, we're looking at some you know, pretty ordinary forecasts. If we get prolonged rain, that's hard to manage. What we've been blessed with in the last week has been big dump of rain and then moving on so we can go and kind of you know, blow the trees off, get things back in order again. But if it prolongs over a day, particularly at this time of year where we're in mid-season varieties, still some rain-sensitive varieties, uh, and with that much rain after the dry conditions we've had, that can see cracking and damage. So we'll just have to see what happens. So it impacts the grower and essentially, you know, you're seeing the, the fruit suck up more water and you're also seeing wet conditions that can cause sort of... Um, quality issues so yeah. that's what you're taking out and not letting get to the market correct so fruit can go soft with rainy conditions or it can crack it'll just split open in which case we take all of that out and that just impacts your pack out percentage or makes it unviable to pick a variety and then you've just got to leave that whole variety behind and that gives you other problems as well because you've got people sitting down and all that sort of thing so with most of the harvest yet to come here in this district just how serious is this weather event for growers locally? Yeah, it, it is a it is a serious you know event. It's going to it could take you know hopefully not, but it could take out the the middle section of the season. Uh, so growers just are forced to leave a good proportion behind, or they keep picking, and their pack out is so low they don't make any money on the transaction, but they keep their staff going and hope to come into something better later on. There will be financial impacts. From, you know, on rain, there always is. It's just a case of how much it is. Is it going to bring the season back down to a break-even season or a loss year? Hopefully not. Uh, hopefully people got enough away early that you know, they can level things out. But it is, you know, people are going to hurt after the rain. There's no doubt about that. Tom Eastlake talking there to Emily Doak about the impact on the cherries. Well, farmers have welcomed the widespread rain across the far south coast. Some areas west of Maruya have recorded more than 225 millimetres in the past 24 hours. The Bureau is now forecasting a severe weather warning that isolated cases in excess of 300 millimetres, particularly for areas south of Maruya. Also, some damaging winds could be on the way and some thunderstorm activity as well. That's the latest from the Bureau this afternoon. Dairy Farmer Sharon Parrish from Bodala told Josh Becker that it's uh, been good news for them. It's turned their season around. From 12 o'clock last night, we've had 93 meals, but 173 for the week. That's pretty remarkable. Has it been steady uh, light rain or has it been heavy and intense? Uh, actually, we've been really lucky. It's mostly been until like last night, we've had steady rain so it's been soaking in really well and made a huge difference to the color and the growth of the grass yeah describe that difference because it has been quite a dry 2023 for a lot of farmers oh yes it had been really we had a wedding on the farm two weeks ago and we looked at the photos yesterday and the difference in the color it actually looks quite brown and now it's just this vibrant beautiful green 
So that'll make a big difference uh, also for for your milk production as well and for the months ahead and I guess a bit of confidence going into the summer period? Yes, yeah. Well, because we, um, yeah, have, have already put the cows on. They just get a bale of hay at night now. So they get um, grass at night as well as in the day, whereas they're just on day feeds up to that. So, yeah, no, it makes a big difference. We're much more positive about the summer now. It'll be, yeah, this will keep us going for quite some time. And you are in an area that can be uh, a bit flood prone. Uh, are you worried about the outlook and the possibility of more rain on the way if you've already had 173 this week? Oh, well, you can't stop the floods. So um, we're not going to get good milker silage anyway, but hopefully this will set us up for some silage. So if it floods, because the last three years we haven't done any milker silage because of flooding during, you know, the silage season. So hopefully we'll get some now that there'll be that nice deep moisture. So even if we get a flood, once it goes down, get the might have to top. But um, hopefully get some fodder put away and because um, we haven't been able to do any silage up to this point this year. As dairy farmer Sharon Parrish at Bodala talking about the rain there. Pretty positive. She was talking there to Josh Becker. It's 18 past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Talking about fire ant now and a number of landscaping businesses in the Tweed Valley are feeling the sting of the detection of fire ants in the region. Brins Landscaping in Mwollumbar estimates they've lost at least $50,000 in business in turnover alone in the last three days. Owner Peter McMahon says that he's feeling he was feeling optimistic yesterday when told the emergency order had been changed to allow them to move material, but he told Bridie Tanner that the business was then hit with a cease to trade order by the Department of Primary Industries. Oh, Bridie, what a, what a day yesterday was. Um, initially, we were told, yes, we've, they've changed the uh, emergency order. They've put a few things in there that allows us to move some uh, material around if we um, stay with the, the conditions that they put on us. And I thought, oh, yeah, this will be good. We're sort of back up and running again. And then, uh, wham, two guys walk in the gate and slam us with a uh, cease to trade. You know, it wasn't they, they, those guys' fault, but, you know, um, when you get hit with that and you think, you know, you're on, you're coming out of something like this, um, yeah, it really knocks the wind clean out of your sails. So let me get this straight. Did you think you could trade within five a five-kilometre radius and then it became not at all? We knew that on Monday that we could trade in within that 5K radius. Uh, yesterday morning it was looking like we could move stuff outside that 5K radius if... We followed the conditions within the order, uh, which we were quite able to do. Now it is basically that there's nothing. We cannot send anything out the gate. The gates are basically shut. It's not just you, is it, Peter? It's other businesses. Yeah, yeah. There's um, three landscaping uh, businesses within this 5K radius. Um, They've all got their doors shut. Um, There's a couple of hire businesses. You know, there's a council depot that's just at a massive standstill. Um, yeah, every, everything at the moment in Moorlambar is basically ground to a halt. What do you think uh, changed between those two notices you received from the DPI yesterday? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I understand that we would probably be considered high risk because we do have a yard full of product that is deemed a carrier, but 
in saying that, for three months we've had it all certified and it's all clear. Since this has been declared, the only contact we've had from the DPI that the DPI have initiated was these two guys walking in the gate and putting this on us. So, yeah, that's really disappointing. Where has this left you in terms of your staff and also your customers? Uh, customers are let down. Customers are not going to get product. Uh, half of our staff um, has gone home. Yeah, we're just running a skeleton crew. There's no point having everyone here because I've got nothing for, left for them to do. When the tap gets turned off, it's, it's, it's all over. It just stops. To be fair, Peter, I think people are pretty cautious right now of you know, transporting fire ants around inadvertently, accidentally. So do you think people are happy to just hold off with their orders, with their landscaping work until hopefully they get on top of things? I understand that point of view. Uh, and that's fine. But when you've been following the rules for three months and you're 100% confident that you don't have fire ants within the products that you move out of your yard, that's where the, the confusion is at the moment. You know, We've been doing the right thing. We've been following the rules that you've put in place. Um, the fact that you guys have sat on your hands and done nothing for three months and just thought that we weren't going to get an invasion of fire ants, well, that's n- not my fault. Peter McMahon from Brims Landscaping and Concrete in Mwilumbar. Now, the Department of Primary Industry says that the that, that landscaping business is one of at least 15 high-risk businesses identified in the area. The Invasive uh, Invertebrates Program lead, Ian Turnbull, explained to Kim Honan the new restrictions that were placed on those businesses. The procedure was that we put a direction on those to cease trading for the time it takes for us to um, go down to that, that business and run a surveillance team over them, including um, with detective dogs. So that, in, in some cases, that was an immediate, you know, the direction was served and then the, the um, inspection was done and then the um, order was revoked. And so in relation to that landscaping business, yes, they were on our list and, and that occurred. Um, I did get some feedback from them and I went and, and met with them uh, both yesterday afternoon and this morning and um, we've gone through that procedure and, and unfortunately we just got a little bit ahead of ourselves in that um, that movement, that restricting the movement before the um, information could get out. So um, we've been busy, we're scaling up. Um, the detector dogs have been over that property today um, and so their, their, their restriction um, will be relinquished. Okay, so as of today, those restrictions are relinquished? So there's a number of those high-risk sites, so they'll be visited, um, restrictions will be put on, and then they'll be visited again by the um, either the detection, sent, uh, the dog team, um, and then they'll be relinquished. So it might be a day, um, but it will be a, a very short process. There's not a, a large number of them. So we um, hope to get over them fairly rapidly. So how many businesses would be affected by those restrictions? Um, I think there are somewhere around 15 to 20 of those. And mainly um, what la- not, What sort of businesses? Oh, landscaping. Um, well, those that have carry materials, so whether it be um, potted materials, um, turf, um, yeah, mainly, mainly landscaping businesses, um, quarries, those sorts of things. And are they all within the, the five-kilometre radius of the fire ant nest? Uh, the majority of them, yes, they are. 
So that that falls under, or is it in addition to the biosecurity emergency order in place? So it's in addition to that short period until such time as they're cleared, and then um, and they revert back to the control order. Aside from the, the five fire ants which were detected last Friday, has the DPI confirmed any more sightings of fire ants in the region? Uh, no, there's been no no more confirmed. Have like the public um, been calling up with possible sightings or suspected sightings of fire ants? Uh, we've received quite a number of phone calls and emails, so we, we ask people to report through the, um, the reported by security concern portal where they can upload photographs and descriptions um, and we, we go through and triage those based on on the nest mound. Has it got an entrance hole? Um, were the other ants within the nest um, a range of different sizes but only as large as six millimetres? Um, so we go through that triage process um, to determine and none of those have come back at this point. So it's suspect requiring us to, to go over there and, and take a sample. Where are you at with the, the tracing process? Again, that's a process that's occurring out of the State Control Centre, so I can't comment on that. I'm sorry, I don't know. And where are you at um, with the surveillance at the moment and the treatment program? Uh, so we're, our focus is on the 500 metres. We've done um, something like 40 hectares of treatment and, and a smaller, probably half of that in relation to um, surveillance. Uh, and that's because we have the capacity to do broader-scale treatment using an all-terrain vehicle, um, whereas the, the surveillance is done by foot, and so that obviously takes takes a lot longer. Um, so we're, we're getting through that that 500-metre radius around the, the nests. Um, today, there is the, the detection dogs are out um, clearing those high-risk sites, so we're just working through as quickly as we can. Ian Turnbull is the DPI's Invasive Invertebrates Program lead. You're listening to the Country Hour. It's 27 minutes past 12. Well, New South Wales Nationals leader Dougal Saunders says the Agriculture Minister Tara Moriarty should have acted in August to push the Queenslanders to eradicate any ants near the border. He says uh, we could see this coming and more baiting and more people should have been on the ground in both states earlier to head off the infestation coming to New South Wales. And to be completely frank, I think what the Minister has been saying is a little bit disappointing. The the fact is that back in August, and you might remember, you and I spoke around that time when I was up at the Tweed on the border um, with several groups of farmers talking about the threat that was being posed and the call for immediate action on eradication, not just a monitoring program, not just checking loads of soil, not just asking for people to do the right thing with signs, but actually starting to eradicate from all of the zones that they knew that these ants had already been spotted in Queensland and and near that border area. Now, what we saw was a bit of an uplift of funding. So the federal government finally came to the table. New South Wales committed money. But the problem is none of it was used for what it was supposed to be used for, and that was to do the eradication. The, the, The original plan had literally a ring fence from Brisbane all the way down to the Gold Coast, Um, with a treatment plan in mind of six different treatments over the next two years to eradicate the fire ants from that region and therefore stop the spread into New South Wales. What we saw was people sitting back on their heels, there were signs on the highway, there were people talking about things, but nothing actually happened, and that's the problem. So we then have the cases popping up at Mwoolumbar, and yes, those nests have been killed. That's Of course they have been, they've been discovered, so they've been... 
exterminated. But we don't know where else they've gone. That's the problem. And the eradication should have started in August when it was called for, and it should have been continuing now. And again, we still don't have really a firm commitment on, on what eradication will be. It seems like a piecemeal attempt again. But she's saying, quite rightly, that she can't force Queensland to do it. Well, yeah, you, you can't force anyone to do anything, but in government, you have a responsibility to call for other states and the federal government to join you. Now, New South Wales was always going to be probably the lead and paying the most money based on capacity and availability. But the federal government had capacity as well, and it took them dragging and screaming to come to the table to finally put some money up. But the plan, by the way, according to the Invasive Species Council, is about $140, $150 million short of where it needs to be. But all of that money, my point was then and is now, needed to be brought forward to have hundreds of people on the ground doing the baiting as soon as possible, not just finding things and then casting a bit of bait around. This, this should have been a coordinated approach since August. Yeah, but uh, as the Minister said, you, you're in government for 10 years and basically did nothing, did none of that eradication, put no money on the table, yeah, didn't that's, do anything. That's and right. uh, Well, that, that's what she said to me the other day, Monday. Yeah, I know, but, but, but that, that is complete rubbish. Uh, but you didn't do any eradication. You didn't do what you've said that, you, that she should be doing. The program started um, when, yes, the coalition was in government. Um, it became uh, more of an issue, I think you'd agree, in the past six to 12 months. Now, at the very end of my tenure, we had a biosecurity conference for the first time ever in New South Wales. We brought together all the experts. We did everything managing varroa mite, threats of foot and mouth disease, threats of lumpy skin disease. There were stink bugs coming in. There were ants at the border. We, we did all the things that needed to be done. There wasn't the detections near the border area um, when we were in government. It literally only happened earlier on this year when they were down near, you know, within that 5K area of the of the Tweed. It's not a finger-pointing exercise to say, why didn't you do anything? It's a, The point was, there was a plan that was recommended. The Commonwealth finally came to the party. The point now is, OK, you haven't done anything now, but please enact the plan. Do what the plan suggests. Do the proper baiting programs. Don't just treat nests where they are and hope because if you don't ring fence them and do the proper treatments over the next couple of years, this will spread, Michael. That's the problem. It'll spread. It'll end up in the Murray-Darling system and right throughout New South Wales, we will have a massive problem. But it has been there in Queensland for 10 years and also maybe the Queensland government and Murray Watt, when he came into government uh, as, the, as the new agriculture minister, should have enacted uh, more quickly there in Queensland to eradicate them, even though they weren't on the border. Yeah, look, 100% Queensland should have been doing more in its state. It only became an issue for us, really, over the past you know, six months, really, as it approached the border here. I think you're right. Queensland is a problem. If the states aren't doing what is required, you step up and do it, don't you? Because it's not an overly um, ridiculous amount of money. We're talking about a, a couple of hundred million dollars over a couple of years. I mean, seriously, the Commonwealth should be doing that and then asking to be paid back from the state. I mean, you, you talk to anyone on the ground, whether they're a horticultural producer or an animal producer of any kind, or a tourism operator, they are all very concerned. We've got sporting fields on the Gold Coast that aren't being used because of these fire ants. We've got concerns around all tourism operations in that part of the world being impacted. Uh, and then you've got all of the agricultural impacts as well. You know, these ants eating roots and crops and, uh, and, and annoying animals, and in some cases causing death. So it is building. If something isn't done very quickly and very purposefully, this will be one of the great disasters. 
Talking about fire out there, Dougal Saunders, the uh, the head of the National Party in New South Wales. Uh, got, a, got a text on that. Uh, someone says uh, we should ask the Queensland Minister what they think is the best practice in eradication of fire ants now um, uh, because uh, Queensland have... Uh, uh, had had uh, biosecurity issues since 1935, according to Dennis, who's texted in, and Gwen has texted in to say uh, Queensland haven't been able to contain the fire ants for over 20 years with effective programs. So will New South Wales be any better at uh, controlling it? And we've had some texts in about the weather too, lots of rain around the place. Uh, uh, north of Golgong, they've had 170 millimetres over the last nine weeks. Good green feed there, and 99 millimetres over a six-hour period to 2 a.m. from uh, Dave in Trundle. So uh, Dave's been saying he hasn't been getting much rain, so he's uh, he's got some at last, 99 millimetres. So he's pretty pleased with that. Uh, shortly, we'll hear about the Basin Plan because it looks like the uh, Federal Labor Party has the numbers to get that through. So we'll hear about that uh, shortly. But uh, before we do anything else, let's get some news headlines from Adam Story. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Michael. Uh, some uh, decent figures have come in uh, on inflation. Uh, it's down on last month, so it's down to 4.9% for the year to October. Uh, that was at 56 uh, Oh, right. So it's a big drop. That, so yeah. it is a big drop. Yeah. Uh, now, the increases were seen in housing, of course, uh, food and those uh, old uh, non-alcoholic beverages, so the fancy lattes with the, uh, <laughs> um, with the caramel <laughs> topping. Oh, and, really? um, is, that, is that still a thing? I mean, that's... Oh, yeah, you still, yeah, you still see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are obviously not fans of that. <laughs> Uh, so that's. Uh, but so if you are out there and you're listening, that's absolutely it, fine. That's also absolutely fine. You drink whatever you like. You can drink It is a free country um, at so the moment. Yeah. Just back to the figures themselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is, of course, ahead of uh, the final uh, Reserve Bank board meeting for the year. So it could. Uh, well, that put, would take the pressure it off. It could of, see rates put on hold. Yeah, uh, from December. For, yeah. At least yeah. for, for another month. Mm. Um, uh, on the weather, we've got 20 homes that have been affected by flooding in Duniloquin at the moment. They've also obviously got uh, crews on standby all over the state with uh, the uh, with the weather forecast. Uh, 100 millimetres fell on the town in the last 24 hours. Uh, locals saying uh, basically the water's blocked their drain pipes, mm. uh, which is what caused a, a lot of the 135 the was the last uh, amount we got from someone at Duniloquin. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. So the SES says it's just uh, job after job uh, there. Uh, a police officer who's been uh, fat- accused of fatally tasering uh, uh, Claire Nowlan, the nursing home patient in southern New South Wales, he's now had charges upgraded and that's now been upgraded to a charge of manslaughter. Uh, that's uh, following a recommendation from the Director of Public Prosecutions. And the federal government working to finalise new legislation, which is expected to put some of those uh, non-citizens back behind bars who were uh, part of the unlawful detention ruling by the High Court. It was after the High Court published its reasons yesterday and stated that a person could be placed back behind bars if there was an unacceptable risk of reoffending, but that it would require new legislation. So the Home Affairs Minister said she wanted that legislation through by... Uh, the end of the sitting week. Right, okay, so they're going to get work on it uh, quickly. Yeah, quickly. Mm. Yes, indeed. Quick legislation. Not always the best legislation. <laughs> rush, rush, rush legislation. It's great. <laughs> but, yeah. but anyway, we'll yeah. see how they go. <laughs> All right.
Thanks for that, Adam. Quick legislation's good. Yes. <laughs> yes, there's certainly a uh, political imperative on that at the moment. Let's I put it so. that way. Yes. It's uh, coming up to 24 minutes to one. Adam will be back at one o'clock. Uh, Chris Webb's at the Bureau. Let's find out about this rain. And so um, a bit of a respite in the stormy, um, sort of dangerous storm activity at the moment. But there's more on the way, Chris. Yeah, a little bit of a respite, I suppose. Um, that there's a severe thunderstorm warning current for the western slopes of the ranges, the ranges and western slopes as we speak. Um, and there are still some pretty decent storms, uh, strong-looking storms on the radar um, sort of in that area. Um, so the potential for... Uh, yeah, basically, I, I don't think it's much of a respite at oh, all, okay. Michael. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are still some pretty strong storms around, and we're expecting them to increase during the afternoon and uh, extend a little further to, further to the east towards the coast. And, yeah, um, some of the rainfall totals in those storms, as you mentioned, did eloquent 135 millimetres in the 24 hours to 9 a.m. this morning. And, um, yeah, I'm not, not sure if we'll see totals that large, but there'll be some localised heavy rain in those storms, Yeah, sort of more focused on the east of the half, uh, eastern half of the state today uh, for the storm activity as well as the potential for large hail and damaging winds um, the south coast is also pretty interesting Some yeah they've had a lot of rain down there Bodella they've had right. 200 millimeters plus and some yeah, uh, rain gauges right. on individual properties and things like that yeah and then since 9am i noticed there are a couple of spots that have um oh dear really piled up again uh, so just in three hours a spot on the big river called Kamaruka Estate 92 millimetres Brogo Dam 69 millimetres so um, it looks like it's not going to ease up at all down that way today with some further heavy rain expected yeah uh, more on the way yeah more on the way so mm-hmm. for the next 24 hours a widespread 200 millimetres and locally another 300 millimetres expected south of Batemans Bay or Maruya area um, so there is uh, already a flood warning out for the Maria River as well as the, oh, another river that feeds into there that I'm not sure how to pronounce, the Deo and the Queenbian. And there's a flood watch for uh, several catchments in the southeast of the state with possible major flooding for the Bega River. You know, there's no warning for the Bega as, as yet, but yeah, it's been, it's been flagged as a possible major if this rain continues and the forecast rain does eventuate. Mm. So that's associated with a little low-pressure system down on the south coast that's expected to form and deepen later on today. Um, so, yeah, you've got severe thunderstorms mostly in the eastern half of the state kicking off, or they're, they're isolated, they're happening at the moment, but increasing during the afternoon and extending further east, and that heavy rain for the south coast and uh, flood warnings and watches with that. Um, so it looks as though the system... Uh, on the south coast doesn't go anywhere fast tomorrow so um, we're looking it, it's looking like uh, further rain uh, south of Maruya uh, with that slow moving low and it's possible that later tomorrow it could ease up and then on Friday it's possible that the low will just move slowly away across the western part of the Tasman and the, and um, the rainfall will ease but yeah otherwise tomorrow um, it looks as though there'll be some showers and thunderstorms about the southeastern third or so of the state but probably much more isolated than what we're expecting today and less severe and across the western north it looks like it'll entirely fine up tomorrow with um, westerlies blowing right to the coast and so some fairly you know much milder much milder temperatures through the northeast tomorrow 
But, um, but later on this afternoon, we are expecting uh, more more severe weather, maybe some thunderstorm activity, maybe some uh, higher wind activity, particularly the south coast, I think also around Narrabri as well. So in sort of both parts of the state there, it sounds like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it looks like, uh, the, well, the south coast will be, definitely be a focus with that low and through anywhere through the eastern half or so of the state with thunderstorms, uh, we could see some severe weather, but it'll be much more localised with those storms. Uh, be pretty general heavy rain on the south coast, as I said, uh, but very localised uh, heavy rain, um, damaging winds and large hail uh, elsewhere through the east. And it looks like you know, it, it'll improve in um, if it hasn't done already in western parts of the, like far western parts of the state um, later on today. Mm, okay. So, yeah, but yeah, that lows and not more going rain on the way. Tomorrow. So yeah, it's going to yeah. sit around there for a while and maybe dump another what, fifty or a hundred millimeters, or depend, maybe more it, it, if it's a it, storm. It, yeah, that's right. It really does depend on the um, the position and the intensity of the low. Like during tomorrow it's possible that a lot of the rainfall could sneak over the Victorian side of the border. Mm. Um, but that's not, not clear so at all. So south coast, Riverina, expecting some, could get some big falls I, I, as well? I don't think the Riverina will get it so much. Okay. It's more like south coast and far and snowy mountains district for tomorrow. Southern Tablelands uh, maybe? Yeah, southern, southern Tablelands and even Illawarra should sneak in with some decent showers and storms. Um, but yeah, the persistent heavy stuff should be right down towards the Victorian border, so far south coast and snowy mountains area for tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, some thunderstorms over the sort of the southeastern third or so, which includes the central tablelands and you know parts of the Ura, uh, Riverina as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think less intense tomorrow and less widespread for those areas. Okay, Chris. And then an improving trend for Friday. Right, okay. All right, well, you, you snuck that in there at the end. All right, thanks for that, Chris. No some, worries, Michael. Some good, so hopefully it'll dry up a bit. All right, thanks, Chris. Chris Webb at the Bureau. It's uh, 18 to 1. ABC Radio Emergency Information. Now, while I was speaking to Chris, uh, in fact, the uh, the Bureau of Meteorology has upgraded their language for those storms of the south coast and Narrabri. Uh, severe thunderstorm warning for heavy, locally intense rainfall, damaging winds and large hailstones uh, for people in the central tableland, southern tableland, southwest slopes, Australian Capital ter- Territory, parts of the Hunter, the Illawarra, the south coast, northwest slopes and plains, central west slopes and plains, Riverina, Snowy Mountains and lower western forecast districts. Very dangerous thunderstorms with intense, locally intense rainfall possible for the south coast. Severe thunderstorms with damaging winds and heavy rainfall continuing over southeast New South Wales and developing northward towards Narrabri, as we mentioned with Chris there, with the risk of some large hail as well. The weather situation, an upper level low over western New South Wales is maintaining unstable conditions across large parts of the state today. Intense rainfall is possible with persistent showers and thunderstorms over parts of the south coast. Severe thunderstorms are likely to produce heavy locally intense rainfall that may lead to dangerous and life-threatening flash flooding and damaging winds over the next several hours in parts of the south coast district locations which may be affected include Bega. Southern thunderstorms are likely to, uh, severe thunderstorms in the south are likely to produce heavy rainfall that could lead to flash flooding, damaging winds, large uh, hailstones over the next several hours in the central tablelands, southern tablelands, southwest slopes, 
Australian Capital Territory and parts of the Hunter, Illawarra, Northwest Slopes and Plains, Central West Slopes and Plains, Riverina, Snowy Mountains and the Lower Western Districts. Locations which may be affected include Orange, Canberra, Goulburn, Tamworth, Dubbo and Wagga Wagga. So that's the latest information from the Bureau. It's uh, a quarter to one. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, to buybacks and water in the Murray-Darling Basin Plan and the Federal Government now looks like it has the support that it needs in the Senate to pass its reforms to the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. Clint Jasper has the latest. This morning, ACT Independent Senator David Pocock announced he'll support the government's legislation, joining Victorian Senator David Van and the Greens to secure the numbers for the bill in the Senate. Mr Pocock's support came after he secured a $50 million package for the Upper Murrumbidgee River. That will include river restoration work, more monitoring and, and science, and really importantly, a, a review of the... Sweeoid, the agreement that the Upper Murrumbidgee flows are, are governed by with, with Snowy Hydro, New South Wales and, and Victoria. In addition, David Pocock also secured $500,000 to support First Nations to participate in water releases from the high country. For too long, First Nations people have been left out of conversations around water. Conversations about how water should be used and managed and then access to water to use it and to manage it on their country. The bill, when passed, will remove the 1500 gigalitre cap on buybacks legislated by the Coalition, allowing the government to buy water off farmers in the basin to meet the plan's recovery targets, including the additional 450 gigalitres of environmental water. It also gives all basin states except Victoria until 2026 to complete their sustainable diversion limit adjustment mechanism projects. However, following amendments to the bill by the Greens, it also gives the federal government the power to withdraw projects they deem unviable. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek told the 7.30 program earlier this week the government will pursue all options necessary to meet the plan's water recovery targets. I mean, we want to do on-farm efficiency measures, off-farm efficiency measures. We're looking at land and water purchases. We're looking at a whole range of things to make sure that we deliver the Murray-Darling Basin Plan in full. A vote on the legislation is likely in the coming days. Clint Jasper with that report. Now, researchers say the $100 million promised for First Nations to enter the water market isn't going to go far enough as water entitlements in the southern Murray-Darling Basin are worth more than $30 billion. The money is part of the federal government's new deal with the Greens to uh, support uh, the restoration of our rivers bill. Currently, less than 0.2% of water in the system is owned by First Nations. And in uh, 2018, $40 million was announced by the government to address this issue, but none of that money has been spent. Dr Erin O'Donnell is a Senior Lecturer and Research Fellow at Melbourne University's Law, of Law Faculty who focuses on water justice and she explains the situation. The tagline in the news is that there's $100 million now on the table to help First Nations participate in the water market. It's not at all clear to me whether that's $100 million to spend buying water rights, which is what it needs to be, It also needs to be money that covers the costs, the ongoing costs of those water rights. That should not come out of the $100 That should be an extra piece of money. The other thing that I would note is that back in 2018, when the 
then coalition government put $40 million on the table. Uh, Tony Burke, who was the opposition um, minister for water, the shadow minister for water, also said that he would commit an extra $50 million. So back in 2018, under a, a Labor proposal, First Nations would have received $90 million to buy water on the water market. Five years later, they've now got an extra $10 million on what Labor were prepared to do back in 2018. So it's a step forward. There's an extra $60 million on the table now, so that's nice, but it is only $10 million from where we were five years ago. And the biggest issue with this money is will they spend it? Right. So to talk about that $40 million that was announced back in 2018 by the then Water Minister David Littleproud, I guess why hasn't it been spent in the last five years? What's been the hold-up? One is that there does need to be an exercise of self-determination from First Nations in terms of how that water will be held in the long term. First Nations people have been actively engaging in that process since 2018. So it's not through lack of engagement from First Nations that this money hasn't been spent. I think what we're seeing is a government that was vastly unwilling to act pre-2022 and the comments from Keith Pitt, who became Water Minister for most of that period, when Labor took power and started to say they were going to accelerate the process of spending that water, uh, spending that money to buy water. Keith Pitt's comments suggested that this was an outrageous expenditure of taxpayer money. Um, And so clearly that suggests that he hadn't been particularly excited about spending it during his tenure as water minister. I think what we're we're now seeing is a government that is perhaps a little reluctant to act. Um, Entering the water market is a politicised thing to do but it is also the only way, the only way in the Murray-Darling to obtain water for First Nations people for their cultural economies. This government just needs to spend the damn money. Does adding more money help? I, I guess, yeah, what, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things, just piling more money onto this? So in the grand scheme of things, what's really important to understand is that in the southern Murray-Darling Basin, Water entitlements on issue are worth over $30 billion, $30 billion with a B. So prior to this week's announcement, there was $40 million with an M on the table for First Nations people to buy water rights. That was not even a drop in the bucket, right? That was a tiny, tiny amount of money. And the implication was that it needed to be shared between all nations in the Southern Basin and in the Northern Basin. So the actual amount of money available for any one nation was minuscule, especially when you translate it into the amount of water that might buy. Yeah, so there's 40 First Nations in the Murray-Darling Basin collectively. So yeah, if you divvy that up with 100 million, that yeah, that's not really much money for each nation, is it? No, it isn't. And I think that's, that's the biggest stumbling block right now. Um, and that's why, in my opinion, and I'm not speaking for any First Nations, it's very important to be very clear about that. But in my opinion, the federal government needs to go and buy the water now. They need to set up a holding account. They need to buy the water. They need to enable First Nations to be part of that process. Um, and there are plenty of opportunities for that to happen. But they need to go and start buying the water so that their money doesn't just continue to decline in value. If the government is serious about getting First Nations water and enabling them to exercise self-determination, to starting to address the water injustice that plagues the Murray-Darling Basin and has done since the British invasion, then they need to spend spend the money. They need to treat this as a first step. So this is not the be-all and end-all. Don't make First Nations fight over scraps of water. And 
see this as a first step into the future. Erin O'Donnell, who's a law professor at the uh, University of Melbourne, it's uh, and talking about the plan there and First Nations people and that $100 million that's been allocated for First Nations people to buy up water. John's texted in on the Murray Down Basin plan and the announcement it's likely to go ahead now because uh, of uh, the uh, crossbenchers some of them agreeing to vote in the Senate. Uh, John says on the Murray-Darling Basin plan, food producing needs to increase, not decrease. Immigration, population growth, climate variability, the last thing we need is productive water being taken out of production for political needs, says John. And um, this is an interesting one I didn't get to before to uh, to ask the Bureau about this, but James made the point so much for the Weather Bureau's predictions of a super El Nino with uh, hotter, drier conditions with severe drought. He's saying, could I ask them uh, what went so wrong with the complete opposite happening? He says, to me, it shows that you just can't rely on those long-term predictions, says, uh, says James. He says farmers are virtually giving their livestock away because the Bureau had spooked them with their predictions. And uh, but um, Greg Ningen says great news about the plan, the Murray Darling Basin plan likely to go through, and he says well done, David David Pocock. And um, also on the rain, um, getting a text in saying west of Cabago, 126 millimeters to 9 a.m. this morning, and it's still pelting down west of Cabago at the moment. Uh, it's uh, we're going to head to markets shortly. Hello, I'm Stephanie Smale. Join me for The World Today. The federal government promises new laws to put former immigration detainees considered dangerous back behind bars. Another day without bombing in Gaza, but warnings from the World Health Organization disease is threatening lives. And wet and wild, storms sweep across parts of eastern Australia with authorities bracing for more. Those stories and more coming up on The World Today. Time for markets. First up, let's go to Lismore Cattle. There was 1,320 head yarded. That's up by 600. There was larger numbers of young cattle and 300 cows sold. Quality was fairly good in a stronger market, with restocker weaner steers selling 10 to 20 cents dearer, the painter cattle making the best gains. The steers sold from 268 to 396 cents, restocker weaner heifers 30 cents dearer, the painter types also made the best gains, they ranged from 230 to 286 cents. Yearling steers sold to a dearer trend, 216 to 338, and the yearling heifers 150 to 278 cents. Only a few bullocks and steers they topped at 264 and the heifer sold up to 240. Cow market was 5 to 10 cents dearer. Two score cows sold from 170 to 215 cents. Medium weight three scores average 217 and heavy cows sold from 220 to 240 cents. Best of the heavy bulls, 270 cents. This is Doug Robson, Lismore. To Carcor Sheep and Lambs. Numbers are up a little for a yarding of 4,600 lambs. It was a fair quality yarding with some good lots of trade weight lambs along with odd pins of heavyweights. There were also the usual runs of lighter lambs suitable for the restockers. Trade lambs were $7 dearer with the new season lambs selling from 62 to 139 to average between 500 and 555 cents a kilogram. Trade weight old lambs sold from 88 to 135. Heavyweight lambs were 12 dearer with the old lambs over 24 kilograms selling from 138 to 174. Heavyweight new season lambs sold to 158. Lambs for the restockers were 5 to 9 dearer, selling from 25 to 90 dollars. 
hoggets were $30 dearer, selling to 101 There were 3,500 mutton yarder, where prices were up to $30 dearer. Merino used sold from $20 to $80, while crossbred used sold from $30 to $99. Merino weathers sold to $88, with most grades selling from $180 to $235 per kilogram carcass weight. This is David Monk at CTLX for MLA. Let's go to cowrie sheep and lambs now. Rob Pierce is there. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Numbers remain steady for 3,500 lambs. Quality continues to be good for the new seasons, with their mainly trade and heavyweights pen. Stores increased significantly in number. Medium and heavy trades were 6 to 8 dearer, 20 22 kilos, 103 to 125, 22 to 24, 118 to 130, averaging 470 to 540 cents. Heavyweights were 7 to 12 dearer, 24 to 26, 135 to 139, 26 plus 130 to a top of 170, averaging 540 cents. Stores sold from 20 to 92, up to $20 dearer in places, and mutton numbers lifted 300 for 1980, quality improved with some larger lines of use, and prices lifted 12 to $35. Heavy first cost use sold from 42 to 98, averaging 205 to 260 cents. And this has been Rob Pierce from MLA at Cowra. Thanks, Rob. Let's get a yes, sheep and lambs. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers increased to 14,200 and there are around 10,000 new season lambs offered. A large percentage were stores and light lambs. There was a better run of trade weights and only a limited supply of heavy lambs. There was a large buying group interested in the stores. The market lifted 10 to 15 across most lambs. New season store lambs to 18 kilos, 31 to 104. Trades, 20 to 22 kilos, 85 to 113. 22 to 24, 106 to 126 with the better lambs averaging 480 to 520. Heavy lambs, 24 to 26, 120 to 136 or 505 on average. 26 kilos and heavier, 131 to 138. The old trades, 69 to 85. Heavyweights, 123 to 138 with extra heavies reaching 155. Best hoggett was $102. Mutton numbers were similar but prices 15 to 20 stronger with medium weight ewes, 34 to 68. Heavy crossbreds reached 95 and the best merinos, $72 a head. And this has been Graham Richard. To Mossvale Cattle now. Good afternoon, Michael. A slight increase in numbers for a total yielding of 1,129 fair to good quality cattle. There were some excellent runs of feeder steers and some good lines of well-bred weaners to suit the restockers. Heavy grain cattle were well supplied and there were 80 mostly prime heavyweight cows. All the usual buyers were operating, selling to a strong market. Trade yielding steers firmed to a few cents better, 238 to 346. Heifers to process, similar prices, 190 to 360. Feeder steers up to 30 cents dearer, 220 to 298. Heifers to feed also dearer, average 280. Weaner steers returning the paddock considerably dearer, 204 to 358. The heifer portion lifted 15, 220 to 304. Heavy grain steers jumped 6, 205 to 240. Heavy grain heifers climbed 5, 200 to 228. Lighter leaner cows were cheaper, quality related, 55 to 145. Heavy prime cows, 9 better, 170 to 228 cents per kilo. This is David Kent at Mossvale for MLA. And that's the markets for today. The last word goes to Lou on the text line. He says the water that uh, was bought from farmers is from farmers who need the money and have water to sell. He says, I prefer the uh, government to buy it than some foreign company. On the Country Hour, it's coming up to news time. <laughs> 